Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, amen and good evening, or if you are tuning in at 1030 tomorrow, good morning. It is great to be with you as we dive back into God's Word. The book of Philemon is where we find ourselves, and I am so thankful for uh, those who've made adjustments to be here tonight uh, to worship, knowing that tomorrow it might snow, but I suspect since Paul and the worship team and the pastor and the children's ministry and everybody flexed to make this possible that we'll probably wake up to nothing in the morning. <laughs> this is my experience whenever I try to accommodate the snow, but uh, I, I'm a snowbird. I love snow. Sometimes Stacy says, Y'all need, you need to just move to Canada, but I, I love what the Roanoke Valley looks like under a fresh blanket of snow. Um, you might be praying against me, but I'm praying for one inch an hour for 36 hours. You do the math. <laughs> I call that a Sabbath-inducing snow. And uh, as a pastor, you really never shut down. You, it, you're always on. There's always something. And when God sends a big snow, it gives me permission to grab a hot chocolate and a book or a sled with my kids and to everybody understands, pastor can't, he can't get out. And, and to actually have a day where I'm just with my family and that's it. So if you were praying against me before I told you that, I hope you'll pray with me now for 36 inches in the next 36 hours. But before that happens, uh, we're going to try to dive into the book of Philemon in verses 4 through 7. So if you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, go ahead and make your way there uh, and just hold your place at verse 4, I want to say to those in the room who, for whom it might be your first time, or for those worshiping with us online for whom it may be your first time, we would love to know of your visit. And if you're in the sanctuary, there's a green card in the pew rack in front of you. It says, welcome. If you would just let us know your name and some way to get a hold of you. We don't think people visit churches by accident. We think God is moving in some way in your life. We'd love to know about what that is and maybe... This, maybe our church would intersect with what God is doing, and we would have the opportunity uh, to be your church family. So please let us know if you're here, especially if you're a first-time guest. Having said that, at, at North Roanoke, a little bit about North Roanoke Baptist Church. We understand that God has spoken. He didn't have to speak. He, he could have created us and not, and not let us know what was going on, but instead He's, he's spoken. And he has spoken in a book, a book that we call the Bible, 66 inspired books making up one story, one true story of the whole world, a story about how God made everything good and perfectly suited to our worship and enjoyment of him and of our enjoyment of our relationships with one another. But we sinned. And there was a Vacation Bible School song a few years ago that said, sin messed everything up. Sin separates us from 
God's loving presence. It leads us not just to physical death, but to everlasting spiritual death, separated from the loving presence of God. And, And when your relationship with God is not in order, guess what? Nothing else is in order. But after Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit in the garden, God promised that He would send a son who would come and He would get right what Adam messed up. Through this son who was going to come, people would be rescued from their sin and from death and delivered from Satan's power and transformed on the inside so that they could know and enjoy God's presence and worship Him. Get this, not in isolation, not a bunch of monks on a mountain or in a cave somewhere worshiping God solo, but worshiping God together just as God designed it in the beginning. He created Adam and Eve to make a family of worshipers who would fill the planet And they messed it up. And sin messed it up. But that promised son has come and his name is Jesus. And because he obeyed where we failed and because he died so that we can, through his resurrection, one day conquer death, God has already set in motion the restoration of the good plan that he had in the beginning. And it happens through Christ. It happens in the local church, among those people who are being made new on the inside as we await the coming of the new heavens and the new earth when our King returns. But until our King returns, God has called us, the church, to be a preview of what is on the way. We are to be the ones sharing the gospel so that our King would be made known. We are to be the ones living out the implications of the gospel as we welcome sinners saved by grace into God's growing family. I liken the church to a a trailer of a movie. You go to the movies and then there's an advertisement for the next movie that they want you to go see. The church is a bit like a trailer for what the new heavens and the new earth should look like. There's going to be all kinds of people there from all kinds of different backgrounds, all rescued through the blood of Jesus. And that's really where Philemon, the book of Philemon, fits in the overall story of what God is doing. His son has come. His son is changing hearts. And the relationships that happen in the church should reflect the reality of what God is doing on the inside. Relationships in the church should transcend socially constructed barriers and biases that the world wants to impose upon us. Philemon is a slave master, and his slave Onesimus apparently stole from him or made a really big mistake and a financially costly mistake. So Onesimus fled, but the story turns when Onesimus meets the apostle Paul and Paul leads him to Jesus. Now, Onesimus is now a believer with the Apostle Paul, but Roman law requires Paul to send him back to the slave master, and so Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, his master, and as we'll see, Paul is going to ask Philemon to receive him, not as a rebellious slave, but as a repentant sinner who is now his brother. The the Bible word for bringing together people or parties who were previously separated from one another, is called reconciliation. Because Jesus came to take our sin, we can be reconciled to God. And because anyone who believes in Jesus can be reconciled to God, we believe that we can be reconciled to one another. It is reconciliation in the church, get this church, it is reconciliation in the church that shows the world that reconciliation with God is possible. 
when the world sees a church living like the community of the faith, living with one another, living out the gospel, taking the low place for one another, we see what is possible between God and man, the difference that Jesus makes on the inside. So as we will see in verses 4 through 7, reconciliation requires a life that is shaped by the gospel. And the opportunity to be reconciled brings with it the opportunity to grow in Christ. Bible scholars call verses 4 through 7 the thanksgiving section of Paul's letter. In most of Paul's letter, he includes a thanksgiving. I believe Galatians and Titus are the only two letters in which he does not. And the thanksgiving section is like a bridge between the letter opening, this is who's writing and this is who's receiving, and then the body, the, the, the meat of the letter, what I'm really going to talk about, starts in verse 8. But he uses this bridge, this Thanksgiving section, to introduce a lot of themes to us that he'll touch on later in the letter. So would you hear with me this section of Thanksgiving, followed by, in verse 6 and 7, a prayer from Paul for Philemon. Hear now the word of the Lord. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Would you pray with me? God, help us to see in your word what it is you would have us to see tonight. Holy Spirit, we, we ask, knowing that you are always present, that you would be especially present right now in the hearing of the word, and that you would, you would apply these truths deep into our lives, and that you would cause us to examine ourselves in light of what your word says and to depart here more, more full of Christ, more committed to Christ, more devoted and dedicated to being the people of God. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in these verses, Paul is going to set up themes that he's going to return to later to ask Philemon to receive back Onesimus, the slave who has fled from him. We see the word love in verse 5. It'll be mentioned again in verse 7 and verse 9. We see the word fellowship or partnership in verse 6. It will be mentioned again in verse 17. We see the concept of good things or goodness mentioned in verse 6. It will be mentioned again in verse 14. We see that Paul refreshes hearts in verse 7. It will be mentioned again in verse 20. What in the world is going on with the repetition? I, I believe Paul is acting like a coach, reminding his player that everything he needs to win the game is something that he's already experienced. He's already in the, in the gospel game, but, but this game of receiving back someone who has personally offended him and defrauded him, it's going to be a harder step in the gospel. Receiving Onesimus will test his faith and his fellowship and his commitment to Christ unlike anything that's tested him before. And Paul tells Philemon that he's thankful that he's already demonstrated the gospel fundamentals in his relationships. And then he shows us that he's prayerful that Philemon will be stretched and deepened in his love for others and his faith in Christ by this challenge, this personal challenge that comes in welcoming the very man who defrauded him and left. 
So specifically, we're going to see in these verses two truths. First, to put the reconciling power of the gospel on display in our relationships. To prove that the gospel has the power to bring together people who would otherwise be apart. The first thing we must do is we must have a love for all the saints motivated by our love, excuse me, by our faith in Jesus. A love for all the saints motivated by our faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul opens by telling Philemon that whenever he prays, he always thanks God for him. Paul does not thank Philemon, but he thanks God. The credit doesn't go to Philemon for what God is doing in his life. It goes to God. Philemon is a a model believer and, and God gets all the glory and all the praise. And Paul says, not just I thank God, but I thank my God. Now Paul's point is not that God only belongs to Paul. He's signaling the depth of a personal relationship that is modeled for us all the way back in the Psalms. I remember when David says in Psalm chapter 18, verse 6, In my distress I called to the Lord and I cried to my God for help. Aren't you glad that God is personal? He, he knows where you are right now. He knows what you're experiencing And there's nothing you've experienced that He hasn't tasted of because He sent His Son. God the Son came down to be the Son of Man and to experience every aspect of human life so that He can identify with you fully in it. He is interested in our lives. He knows the pain you face, the brokenness you feel, the bitterness that wells up within, and God is still interested in our lives and the intersection of our lives with the lives of others. I praise God that we don't have a God who's distant and cold, but He's he's right here, right now. Paul spent significant time praying. If you read his letters, he's praying all the time. He spent significant time praying for Christians all over the Mediterranean world. He was an evangelist, a church planter, a a prayer warrior, and he speaks to God on behalf of Philemon out of his relationship with his God. In verse 4, these these words making mention are are words of of remembering, of, of memory. The They are words of deliberate mental action. Paul says that not only do I thank my God for you, but I I step into your world mentally. And I, I, I get into your shoes and I pray that the gospel would inform every aspect of who you are and how you respond. Paul is not voicing some thoughtless prayer. It's not little Facebook prayer hands on a comment and then moving on and forgetting the situation. He is communing with his God. And he's stepping into Philemon's life and he's recognizing that what he's going to ask him to do is going to take a level of sacrifice that he's not experienced before, a level of selflessness that he's never contemplated before. And he's begging God to produce gospel desires within Philemon that would transcend his pride and allow him to welcome someone who hurt him as his brother. To leave the past in the past and to move forward for the glory of Christ. And in verse 5, Paul tells us why he's thankful for Philemon. The word because signals a statement of purpose. Paul is thankful because of what he's hearing about Philemon. 
It's in the present tense, the word here, which means that he's hearing and he keeps on hearing. Now, who in the world is telling Paul about all the good things of Philemon? Must, it, it's got to be Onesimus, right? <laughs> it's got to be the runaway slave. It's got to be the one who's, who's stolen from him. The one who's run away from him. And, and now Onesimus, in his repentance, comes to Paul and he's led to Christ. And he's like, man, Philemon's an amazing guy, but how do I go back to him considering what I've done to him? How could he ever receive me? And he's just telling Paul, Philemon's an amazing guy. His, his, love, for, his love and his faith are, are through the roof. Verse 5, specifically, he's telling Paul of, his, of Philemon's love and of the faith which he has toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Paul is thankful to God because he already sees in Philemon what is going to be necessary for Philemon to put into practice when Onesimus comes home. In verse 5, the arrangement of the words in the Greek allows us for two possible understandings of what Paul is saying. Either Paul is saying that Philemon's love and faith are both directed to the Lord and to his people, or Paul is saying that Philemon has love toward all the brethren, toward all the saints, the holy ones, those who have been set apart as Christians, and he has faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So does he have faith does he have love and faith toward God and God's people? Or does he have love for God's people, but faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and the second reading is the one that is preferable, because nowhere else in the Bible does Paul talk about having faith in other Christians. Our faith isn't in ourselves. Our faith isn't in the people of God. Our faith is in the God of the people. What, what Paul is doing in this verse is he is bracketing the concept of faith in Jesus in the love that Philemon has for all of God's people. Normally, when Paul speaks of faith and love, what does he put first? He puts faith and love. But now he puts love, then faith, because it is his love that is going to be tested, and it's got to be rooted in a faith in Christ that allows him to be selfless as Jesus was selfless for him. Twice more in verse 7 and verse 9, Paul will refer to this love. This is the word agape love. I define agape love as the selfless love of Jesus, which gives us our salvation. It is Jesus laying down what He's entitled to so that we could have a share in His life. It's that kind of love that we must demonstrate to be reconciled to one another. There's a pattern that unifies Paul's thinking in verses 5-7. through seven. First, he mentions love. Then he mentions faith. And then again in verse 6, he mentions faith. And then in verse 7, he mentions love. Do you see what Paul's doing at the center of Christian love? Love that releases our rights and our privileges for the good of one another. There's got to be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who did not cling to the privileges of His own deity in order to make us His own. All other loves ultimately fail under fire because they're not rooted in faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. All other loves ultimately fail under fire because they're not genuinely rooted in faith in Jesus Christ. If our, if our love is centered in our feelings, then we will fail to love. When, 
When people stand before one another and get married, we walk through eight counseling sessions together, and there's a, there's a line in, in the marriage ceremony that I give where I compare a contract and a covenant. And in a contract, we say, I'll love for as long as I feel like loving. I'm in this thing until it doesn't feel right, and then I'm out. But in a covenant, you say, I'm in this thing till death do us part. This is why Paul points out both Philemon's love and his faith. It's only through faith in Jesus that we can love as Jesus loves, through the highs and the lows, the midpoints, through every trial and every storm. If Philemon's love is dictated by his feelings rather than by his faith in an amazing Savior, he will fail to love as God wants him to love. But praise God, look at what Paul says. You're already doing it. You're already demonstrating a love that flows from your faith in a Savior who was broken for your salvation. The word Lord in verse 5 is important. Philemon understands that Jesus calls the shots. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And I'm here to tell you that the Lord will bring all kinds of people into your life to challenge your faith and strengthen your love. Did you know Jesus died for every tribe and tongue and language and nation and people? He, he died to rescue all kinds of people. He died, Jesus died to rescue people that drive you crazy. True story. He died for rebels and republicans. He died for delinquents and democrats. He died for pushers and users and offenders and traffickers. And so many more. He died for that relative that drives you bonkers at Thanksgiving because they're three hours late and they leave three hours early and they gossip the whole time and they just drive you nuts. Jesus wants to save them. That mom or that dad that treated you wrong and did you wrong your whole childhood, Jesus wants to save them. And minimally, Minimally, he wants to deliver you from living in bitterness your whole life toward that person and to see that just like you were a sinner far from God who needed the blood of Jesus, that's what they need. They don't need your judgment or your condemnation or your self-righteousness or your bringing up the past. They need an encounter with the living God of the universe. They need to meet Jesus. That's what they need. the one who laid down his life to make us his own. If he's really ours, he compels us to be reconciled to others. Even others who have wronged us or are not like us. Others who, like us, have been gloriously rescued by the selfless love of God. And if, if Jesus has changed them, then they can be my brother and my sister. One day, church, faith is going to give way to love. All there's going to be is love. But in the here and now, faith and love are deeply intertwined. The only way we can love like Jesus is if we, by faith, belong to Jesus who first loved us. You say, I can't do that. Do you know Jesus? 
Do you know who Jesus is and what he has done for you? Do you know the depths of his love for you? The raw materials of what is needed for a union of Philemon and Onesimus are already there. And Paul is thankful to God for the love that is motivated by faith in Philemon's life. Do you have a life like Philemon's? If Paul were instead to be praying of you, could he thank God for your selfless love that is being compelled by an abiding and deep faith in Jesus? Would he say, I know what I'm getting ready to ask you to do is huge, it's tall, it's monumental, it's big, but I have confidence it's going to happen. I know you're going to give up so that the gospel can go forward. I know you're going to let the past be the past so that the gospel of Jesus Christ may advance. Could, could Paul say that of us? And if we're honest with ourselves, the answer is probably yes. But there's that one person. There's that one situation. And in my flesh, if I'm honest, I want to hang on to the hurt. I want to hang on to the harm. I want to hang on to the past misunderstanding rather than be reconciled. And whether you're Philemon or the pastor or whoever you are tonight, the reality is most of us have that one or two or three or ten situations. That's where Paul is taking Philemon. He's pressing him. I'm going to ask you to throw away social convention. I'm going to ask you to throw away everything you lost. I'm going to ask you to throw away all the love and uh, financial resources that you poured into your house servant that you rescued from death and slavery. I'm going to ask you to forget everything that you feel like you're owed. And I'm going to ask you to welcome him like he's your brother. Which means, number two, as we see in verses 6 and 7, we must see reconciliation as an opportunity for spiritual growth. We must see reconciliation with people that we'd rather not reconcile with as an opportunity for spiritual growth. While Paul has heard of Philemon's continuing love toward others and faith in Jesus, he knows that his love and faith are about to be stretched and deepened in ways that Philemon never imagined. So Paul, do you see it in verse 6? He goes from thanksgiving to praying. I thank God for you that you've got all this love and all this faith. And in verse 6, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. I pray that it's not just a show. I pray that you don't just have faith and love when it's easy. I pray that when you are stretched, that your fellowship, and in verse 6, is translated in a bunch of different ways in the translations because the grammar here in the Greek is a little bit confusing. This Verse 6 is not about sharing the gospel verbally. It's not about evangelism. Verse 6 is about the fellowship or the partnership we have in the gospel that comes through our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because His blood saved me and it saved you. Then it is bringing us together in the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that we might have many differences, church, we may have different accents. We may have different college allegiances. Not everybody pulls for Virginia Tech, and I don't understand it. 
We may have different incomes, different family backgrounds, different jobs. We may have grown up on the different sides of the state or of the town or of our community. But the church is not built on any of those things. That was worth somebody saying amen. There is a fellowship that transcends all these differences. And it is the fellowship of faith, which means the fellowship that faith in Jesus produces. If you have authentic faith in Jesus, it will produce within you a desire to be united with people unlike you because they belong to Jesus. Paul doesn't pray about a fellowship of Philemon and Onesimus that is shared in the love of ribeye steaks or Coca-Cola or hokey football. He prays about a fellowship that flows from their faith in the living Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have faith in Jesus are called into a fellowship that brings all kinds of people together in a bond that is greater even than the bond that you experience in your natural family. Because it is a bond in the eternal blood of Christ. It is in this fellowship It is this fellowship, rather, that Paul prays about. He prays that Philemon's love and faith won't run into a giant roadblock when Paul asks him to receive Onesimus as his brother. Did you know God will bring people in your life to test the limits of your love and your faith and help you become more like Jesus? God God is a great God, and sometimes He knows exactly, well, He always knows. But just to put that one person... That really just, mm, just test you. None of you know what I'm talking about, do you? Some of you are sitting right next to him right now. Church, can God save a predator? Can God save a Muslim? Can he save an atheist or an agnostic or a pompous politician or a clueless politician or or a clueless co-worker? Who can't God save? See, I got behind a car today that had certain bumper stickers on it that let me know who they voted for in 2020, and it frustrated me. Then God brought Philemon to mind. And he said, come on, Pastor. They need Jesus too. What God wants for us when we encounter the friction that comes when God adds new people to His family is not for us to flee or to hold on to the past, but instead to lean into our new oneness in Christ and the fellowship that we have through our faith in Jesus. He wants our fellowship in the faith to become effective. Which means He doesn't want it to just be an abstract idea. He wants it to actually work its way out in our life. The word effective communicates activity and energy. Philemon's fellowship is going to have to get to work. His partnership with others in the gospel is going to be challenged with this new situation of welcoming Onesimus. 
His faith in Jesus will likewise be challenged. So Paul prays that Philemon would know. The word know that's used here means to know it not only in your head, but to know it experientially. That he would experience every good thing that God has worked into him for the sake of Christ. He wants God to be glorified by this awkward situation that he's about to encounter. Do you believe that God can use awkward situations to glorify Jesus? That he can bring difficult people into your life to to show you stuff in your heart that you didn't even know was there and you know it didn't come from you. It had to come from God. And the only way that you could experience it and know what God had done and how he had saved you and rescued you and rewired you is because you had to walk through some difficult terrain to welcome someone else as a brother or sister in Christ. Paul wants Philemon to be stretched and to grow in his knowledge knowledge and understanding of the gospel. Philemon has this amazing opportunity to work out and practice what God's been working into him. Things have been going well. Everything's been hunky-dory at the house church of Philemon. And then, boom, his runaway slave takes up and steals from him, meets Paul, trusts Jesus, and Paul's sending him back. "Uh Uh-uh. Messing up our mojo. Everything was great. You want me to take him back? How is Philemon going to respond? Will he see all the faults and flaws of his runaway slave? Or is he going to grow in his appreciation and see all the more how much he needed Christ and therefore he can extend love to Onesimus? Will his fellowship with Jesus go deeper and his fellowship with others go wider as God stretches him even more for the sake of the gospel and the growth of God's church? I suspect since the church gave the book the name Philemon, that Philemon went another step deeper in his faith, that his fellowship became effective. How about us? Who is God sending us to in our workplaces, in our families, at Kroger? Could it be the Muslim woman in front of you wearing a hijab? Might it be the immigrant from Africa sporting a a turban? Or maybe it's just the man next door who insists on mowing the grass at 7.30 a.m. every Saturday. Who does God want to use to take you deeper into your knowledge of every good thing that He is working into you by His Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ? To be reconciled with others unlike us and others who perhaps have even hurt us, we have to stop looking at what we think is wrong with them and instead start looking at what God wants to do in us. It's not your job to fix them. Only Jesus can do that. You say, well, I have a hard, such a hard time reconciling. Did you know reconciliation begins when you stop pointing all the fingers at everybody else and you say, God, you point all the fingers you need to point at me and I'm going to assume the best of my brother and sister and I'm going to see what happens. Paul closes by telling Philemon that he, he gets great joy and comfort or encouragement out of Philemon's love. Yes, Paul is in prison, but he can endure this hardship with great joy when he sees Philemon and the church being the church. Philemon is, has been a marvelous host of the church in his home. He's been refreshing the hearts of the saints. Do you, do you see Paul's strategy here, by the way? 
You thought you were smart when you sent that email to your colleague or your coworker, and you needed to tell them something that was going to be a little uncomfortable. You ever had to do that? Like you misspelled the company's name on the letterhead, bro. I mean, so dear Tommy, you know, you tell him something great. You are the greatest mail clerk that we've ever had. By the way, you misspelled the company logo. Um, I'm so glad you like the Hokies just like I do. Sincerely, Daniel Palmer. It's called a sandwich, right? You sandwich the, the negative in the middle. And this hasn't really been negative, but Paul starts out really, really big, right? I thank God for you. I see your love and your faith. And then he slides in there like, but I'm also praying for you because this one's going to be tough. And then in verse 7, he says that Philemon has been refreshing the hearts of believers. He's been a heart refresher. I want to be a heart refresher, don't you? The word refresh means to give rest or to put someone at ease. Jesus uses a word with the exact same root when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest or refreshment. The word heart refers to the total personality of someone at their deepest level. In a world that wants to suck the life out of us, did you know that we know a Savior who promises to refresh the souls of anyone who comes to, them, to Him, no matter what bumper stickers on the back of their truck? This refreshment is found in the church. The abstract refreshment that, that is out there as an idea is known and experienced among the people of God that Jesus has saved and is saving. Philemon has been an oasis of refreshment to the hearts of brothers and sisters who gather in his home week after week. I, I, when I think about the word refreshment, I think about when I was in college. I enjoyed college very much, went to the greatest secular university in the world, and some of y'all pick up on that later, but, but it wasn't home. I had to cross the hall to take a shower and wear flip-flops, and you weren't sure when the last time the bathroom had been cleaned, and it just wasn't home. Mom would come home on a weekend, and she'd send me home with, send me back to college with brownies, and they only lasted till like Sunday night, because I ate all of them. I wanted to go back home and get some more of my mom's brownies, and she did my laundry. It smelled better than when I did it. I don't know what she did, but it's just the laundry was better. Everything was better. So when I came back home from college, I, I felt refreshed. I was with people who knew me and welcomed me with open arms, and Philemon did that not just with his own family. He did it with people from all over Colossae, very different from himself, and he made them feel at home. This is what Philemon did for the people around him who left the world behind to follow Jesus. He didn't just fund the ministry with his wealth. Instead, he invested in lives and opened his home and his heart to all who would deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow after Jesus. And now Paul is asking Philemon to do it one more time. And tonight, 
I believe this is what Jesus is calling us to as well. Will we be a place, will we be a people who offer to the world a place of refreshment? A place where thirsty souls from every background can come and drink of Jesus Christ, the living water. Notice that at the very end of the verse, Paul holds it out to the end of the sentence. Paul calls Philemon his brother. He holds it out because Paul is saying, look, even though I'm an apostle and you're a convert later, you are my brother through the blood of Jesus. Even though I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile, we are brothers through the blood of Jesus. And if the gospel can make you and me a brother, Philemon, it can make anyone, no matter how far they seem from God, no matter what they've done to us, it can make, the blood of Jesus can make brothers out of anyone and brothers and sisters out of anyone. Because the blood of Jesus tears down walls, it forgives sin, and it gives us the opportunity to march forward together in unity in Christ. So North Roanoke Baptist Church, wherever our neighbors may be, wherever even our enemies may come from, I pray that as Paul prayed for Philemon, that it could also be said of us, that we are a people with great selfless love, grounded in an abiding faith in Jesus, and that no matter what it costs us, as long as it doesn't cost us the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we'll do whatever it takes to be a place of refreshment to anyone that God would save. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I give you praise for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I give you praise for how it was lived out in Philemon's life. I give you praise that Paul wrote this very personal letter that we get an inside view of. And I thank you that we can call upon you not just as God, but as my God, our God. That you are through Jesus for us, not against us. That you know our our. our inner workings. God, you know our mind, our heart, you know our attitudes, our emotions, what we're facing, and God, there's nothing we can bring to you that you aren't familiar with. And so God, wherever this sermon landed tonight in in lives in this sanctuary and online, God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would have the liberty to apply it to us and that you would make us people, God, that you would make us a church that is a place of refreshment. God, that you would make us a people who is quick to forgive. God, don't leave us in the land of bitterness and of brokenness and of hurt and of harm. And you did this, and so now I'm going to do that. God, lead us out of that mess and into your glorious forgiveness through the reconciling power of the blood of Jesus. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.